few years ago, uh, I, several, more than a few years ago, several years ago, I was getting out of seminary, and I got appointed to Abilene, Texas. The Methodist Church is a sending organization, and so a lot of churches will call people to come there. The Methodist Church views all of us pastors essentially as missionaries, and they send us to places to serve, and you're appointed to an area, not just a specific church. So I'm appointed to Pastor Morningstar United Methodist Church, but I'm appointed to Las Cruces. So my mission field is Las Cruces, and it just kind of centers here at Morningstar. And so I was appointed to Abilene, Texas, a church called St. Paul United Methodist Church. It's an old, over 100-year-old downtown church. And I was the associate pastor there. Eddie Rivera, who is my current boss, was my boss then also, and so he knows what he's getting into when he has me work for him. But uh, my job at St. At, at Paul was to start something new for that church. In fact, originally when I got there, they said, we want you to start a contemporary worship service. And the interesting thing was, Eddie and myself were the only ones in the entire church who cared if there was a contemporary worship service or not. And so it made the job really difficult. And I went to him one day and I said, Eddie, I feel like we're putting the cart before the horse. Why don't we go out and find this community? Let me kind of cut free some of my duties here at Morningstar and let me go out and build a community of people and then we'll see how that community wants to worship because maybe they don't want a contemporary worship. Maybe they want something else. And so he uh, was courageous and said, okay, Ross, go for it. And so I went out and I started meeting people here and there and inviting them to things. And we built up several small groups. And over time, those small groups came to have a worship service. And it was somewhat traditional, somewhat uh, contemporary, lots of joint readings and shared experiences in the worship service. And at about that time, I started thinking like, well, a church that just gathers for worship and a church that just gathers for like Sunday school and those sorts of things it's not quite enough. You've got to have more than that. Like if all we're doing is gathering here because it makes us feel good and then we walk out and like that fades, but if we get filled up here so that we can go out there and share something and do something together that makes the world actually a better place, that makes the, well, your kingdom come here on earth as it is in, if we're doing that thing, then we're doing something. And so I started praying and kind of keeping my eyes and ears open and looking around. And one day I, I remembered that in Abilene, Texas, there's an organization called the IRC, the International Rescue Committee. Has anybody ever heard of the International Rescue Committee? IRC, yes, a few of you. Some of you who have lived in Abilene. Um, <laughs> the IRC was found, was one of the founders of the IRC was Einstein. Anybody heard of Einstein? I hope so. He's got a weird picture with his hair sticking on his tongue out. But Einstein helped found this thing. And what the IRC does is they resettle refugees from war-torn countries and places where their people are in harm, and they resettle them here in the United States. And they have main offices like in Dallas and Phoenix and other places. And then they have spur offices in towns about the size of Las Cruces and Abilene. And so I kind of started paying attention to what IRC was doing and came up with an idea through conversations with them to start a farm called the New Roots Farm. It's a large-scale gardening project in which refugees, specifically women, because over 90% of refugee women suffer from PTSD, from things that have happened to them. And so one of the things that they have found is that when these women come together and work to do things and provide things for their community, 
they help kind of settle their souls a little bit and their mental health gets a little better. And so we started this large-scale gardening project with refugees. And about that time, I got a call from a professor at SMU, Southern Methodist University, Perkins School of Theology. Her, she's at Duke now, but back then she was there. And she, her name is Elaine Heath. And Elaine called me and she said, hey, Ross, I hear you're doing some work with refugees. And and I've got some friends from Dallas who have just resettled in Abilene, and they're refugees, and I'd like for you to meet them, and I'm going to be there. Would you go do that? And I said, sure. So we set up a time, and I figured we'd be there about 30 minutes to an hour, just kind of a meet-and-greet type thing. And I walked into the room, and Elaine wasn't there yet, and it was just a couple of refugee women who didn't speak English and me who didn't speak Swahili. And just a few minutes later, the Elaine came, and there was somebody who could translate for us, and we started having a conversation, and a few minutes later more people came, and a few minutes later, more people came, and a few minutes later, more people came, and a few minutes later, more people came. And we were in this tiny little apartment living room with over 35 people in it, little kids running around all over the place, and we were eating some African food that didn't really taste great, but I was eating it anyway, and the Spirit of God fell. And we were singing songs in English and in Swahili, and people were praying and crying, and I was kind of blown away with this experience because I thought I was just going to go meet some people. And at one point, they said, uh, Pastor Ross, we would like for you to be our pastor. We want to be part of your church. We want your church to be part of what we're doing. Would you do that? And the Holy Spirit was there. And what you need to know about me is I don't use that phrase and that term lightly. Like, it'll be a rare day that I come to you and say, hey, the Holy Spirit... I feel like God was speaking through the Holy Spirit to tell me something. I think we overuse that sometimes. And it was so strong. And I looked at them and I said, I don't know if I can do that because I don't speak Swahili and, and I've just got this little community and it would kind of mess things up for them. If you came and if they came here, it would be weird. So I just don't think so. So a few weeks later, I get a call from my district superintendent, my boss, saying, hey, Ross, you have to go to a joint cabinet meeting in Lubbock, which means all of the bosses from New Mexico and Northwest Texas and the bishop are there, and I had to go meet with them about this meeting that I had in Abilene. And I was nervous. I'd never been called before all of them before. Hope I never do again. Usually it's not a good thing. And I said, well, what do I need to wear? And he said, wear a suit. And so I get my suit, and we go... And when I get there, nobody's wearing a suit. They just kind of played a joke on me. And it's me and the bishop and the DSs and a big screen with Elaine Heath's face on it. She was like star trekking in to have a conversation with us. And she said, Bishop, we've got this community of refugees in Abilene, and Ross is already working with refugees, and we would like for him to pastor these refugees and pastor the church he's got right now, and maybe they could join together or something. And Bishop looked at me and he said, Ross, what do you think? And I said, Bishop, I just don't think my church is ready to support something like that. And I don't know if I can pastor two, two groups of people. And I just don't think we should do it. I should have done it. The Spirit of God was leading me to do something that would have changed people's lives, including my own. And I decided, no. It was too hard and it was too scary. This church that I had started in Abilene, one of the things that they wanted to do was get involved in justice issues. And I don't know if you know this or not, but in Texas, they execute more people in Texas than any other state in the nation. 
They also believe corporations are people, and until you execute a corporation, I'm not sure about that, but that's a whole other Bible study. So the Methodist church is opposed to the death penalty. And this church that I was part of, non-Methodist people, found out about that, and they were like, Ross, we need you to get involved in that. And so I partnered with the Texas Coalition to abolish the death penalty and started doing some lobbying on behalf of that. And in the meantime, I found a pen pal who's on death row. And we started writing back and forth to each other. And I remember the second letter I got from him was about eight pages long and kind of rambling and wild. But there was one page where he had taken his hand and he had traced his hand on that piece of paper. And he asked me to do the same so that he could at least get a feel for who I was. And so I traced my hand on a piece of paper. And I remember like putting my hand on top of his tracing and praying for him. And then I looked up what he did. And it was scary. And he wrote me a letter that said, I know you're a pastor, but I don't want you to preach to me, and I don't want you to try to make me better, and I don't want you to do any of those sorts of things. Just write letters to me. And I felt like it was a failure on behalf of some pastor somewhere who made him a cause instead of seeing him as a person. And it became too much for me, and I just kind of quit. It was a ship that didn't sail. It was built... It was ready to go, and it crashed. I had an opportunity to do this amazing ministry with refugees who were hurting and lost. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being forced almost to live somewhere else? Like you can't stay where you are because you can't live there. You literally can't survive there. And then you go somewhere else, and a pastor of all people says no to you. That's a ship that doesn't sell. Jehoshaphat built Tarshish-styled ships to go to Ophir for gold, but the fleet didn't go because it was wrecked at Ezion Geber. There are all kinds of ships that haven't sailed. I mean, I've got my own, but you might have yours too. I'm sure you do. He looked really good and he talked really smooth but he left you with a baby and no support. You had an opportunity to go to college and you went, but you wasted it all away with partying and never went to class. And your friends, they graduated and they moved on and you were just kind of left behind. That's a ship that doesn't sail. You spent your whole life working, gathering that paving material that we call money just so that you could hold on to it and you missed out on the blessing that it actually is to pave some streets with gold, that's a ship that doesn't sail. There's a classroom full of kindergarten bodies that a madman went into and shot full of holes because we didn't sail the ship of making a decision to actually try something because we can't get over ourselves and our differences, that's a ship that doesn't sail. But with God, there's always the but. But we worship the God of the second chance. The God who says, like, hey, greater am I in you than he who is in the world. Greater am I in you than he is in the world. You can say no. You can make mistakes. You can make bad decisions. 
You can put yourself in terrible places. You can choose to be divided, but I'm bigger than that because I am the God of the second chance and what I want is for you to participate in all of life and just go for it and let me worry about the perfection of things. We worship a God who is the ultimate creator. No good idea has ever come into existence if God didn't push it into existence. God has created and God is still creating. Think about your life, where you were a year ago now. The things that have happened over the past 12 months, both bad and good, both redeemed and both kind of falling apart. God is in the middle of all of that with you, walking with you through it, recreating your life. But it takes courage. It takes courage to say yes when you feel the Holy Spirit. You get this weird idea in your head for an experiment at church that you would like to try. A ministry that you're kind of spurred to start. You don't know how to do it, but the Holy Spirit is our supporter, our little thing that keeps the soap from sliding off the side. Our, the Holy Spirit is who connects us with the people that we need to be connected with. The Holy Spirit gives us crazy ideas like, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of people? Where are you staying, Jesus? Come and see, I'll show you. And they go and they change the world with these amazing, weird ideas. But the idea that I'm trying to get a lot across to you, that should be about us as followers of Jesus, that different is the one thing that will always be the same about us. Jesus came and started a whole movement that we're part of. It's not just like, oh yeah, I go to church and I'm a Christian. No, we are part of a movement that started 2,000 years ago with this crazy hippie in Nazareth that walked down the roads and changed things all around him. He touched people who shouldn't be touched. He called people who were the B-teamers. They were already out fishing and mending. They hadn't made it to rabbi school. They started things that never, ever changed except the fact that it's always different. It's always different. God gives us a vision. God gave you a vision. I know it's inside of you. There is a vision for something bigger than yourself that you get to jump into. It's your journey. Don't say no to it. Jump in and follow the Spirit. This guy, Jehoshaphat, 35 years old and is the king of the southern kingdom. It's called Judah. The Hebrew people were divided into two they were divided. Imagine that. People that are divided. They were divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, north and south. What? And this guy, Jehoshaphat, when he became king, the southern kingdom had no money in their coffers, very little money in their coffers, because the previous king had spent all of the money on fighting foreign nations, and he had to figure out a way to get the economy going again, and so he had a crazy idea. You get where this is going, right? This is about crazy ideas. Who has one that can actually make a difference in this world for people other than us? Jehoshaphat decides they're a desert-dwelling people, but he's going to build ships. 
We know what that's like. We're desert-dwelling people. And if I said, hey, let's start building ships, you would say, what do you know about water? I lived close to water a few times. So they build these ships to try to spur the economy on. And instead of building them and going north to where a lot of trade would happen, they built them and went to Africa because there was gold in Africa. And so in my notes of my Bible as I was reading through this passage, it started talking about shipwrecks and the type of ships that they built were better when they were full of things. So they were going to Africa to get filled up with gold so that then they could float better and steer better because something that is full actually has a purpose to go and it's easier to maneuver. Weird, right? We are a church that has a single purpose. The reason that Morning Star United Methodist Church exists is this, and it's always been this way, and it always will be this way. Our purpose is to connect with the Spirit of God and share God's love with the world. That's the reason that we are in this room, to connect with the Spirit of God so that we can go and share God's love with the world. But if you're here today and you're not allowing yourself to be filled up and you're not doing the things Monday through Saturday that keep you full, you're a ship that will have a hard time sailing. Because a ship that is full of gold will sail better. It takes crazy ideas to change the world. Crazy ideas that come from God and it takes courage for us to say, I'll do it. I'll say yes to these refugee people who I can't even understand. I'll keep writing the letters. I won't give up. I'll keep doing the thing. I've got this big dream in my head for some things and I have to keep moving forward with them because I don't want to say no again. And I, and I keep coming across and coming across more and more creative things that people are doing to literally change the world. Not like change the world like, oh, there's a cool new app. That changes the world. That doesn't change the world. Changing the world is something that makes other people's lives better. Icon and News Story are, that's an old video. They were talking about this will be happening. Ten months ago, that video came out. It has happened. They've built hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes around the world for people. And actually, they're not the ones building it. The people in the communities are the ones building them because this technology is open source. Dave, you could download it on your computer, and we could start building those homes here if you get the 3D printer. Right? Okay, well, it's over. We're doing it. These, these guys and la ladies and guys are all under the age of 33 years old that started these two companies. They had no idea what they were doing, but they had, a, they had a dream and a vision, and they started stepping out, and they started making it happen. They've raised over $500 million to do this project with just figuring it out as they go. Because it's not about the journey, it's about the vision. If you have a vision, if you have an idea, if you have an experiment that you want to try, let's be the experiment church, the church that says, we have ideas and let's go do it. And don't wait for me or Stuart or Kathy or Sean or anybody to come to you and give you an experiment to go do. Come up with them. We want to empower you together. We want to build ships 
in the desert. But sometimes, the greatest ideas, you can be full of gold on the inside. You can be doing all the things that you need to do. You can have the right crew on your ship. You can have people who pray with you, people who help you figure out problems that you come across. You can have people who generate more ideas. You can have the people who will finance your things. You can have all of that stuff, and it will still crash and burn. I learned a few things this last week because I don't want to like preach a sermon and somebody's out there is like, yeah, I've sailed ships before and he's full of whatever. So I started doing some research and I found out that a ship that's full, at least ancient maritime ships that were full, would sail better. And I also found out that they had tabernacles on board. And when I saw that, I was like, that's kind of cool. They had chapels on board. And so I started looking into it. A tabernacle is a device that holds a mast in place, the part that holds, holds the sail. And so if the tabernacle is strong and the tabernacle is tight and everything's good with it, the mast can go through all kinds of storms and it still will not fall and break. Keep the tabernacle right, your inner soul right, stay full of gold, and you still might crash though, because we've all been there and done that. But I came across this crazy thing called a salvage ship. Salvage ships have no borders. They go wherever they go. They don't fly any nation's flag. They just fly as a salvage ship. And they go to shipwrecks and places where ships never made it out of port. Or they go to places where ships wrecked out in the middle of their journey. And they go out there and they salvage those ships. And salvage comes from the same root word as guess. I'll give you one guess. Salvation. These are salvation ships, and they go and they salvage the dreams of people and things and places, regardless of the mistakes they've made, regardless of the failures that they've had, they go and they salvage. It sounds like this will preach. And then, and then the thing is, once they get the ship and they get it moving and they build onto the ship and they repair the shipwreck, they put a placard on the side of it. All, I mean, all over the world, the placard is the same. It goes on the side and it says, Redeemed. You're quiet. You should be loud right now. It's redeemed. These dreams that we have that fail sometimes and leave us feeling like we're crushed, God can come along, the God of the second chance, and redeem them. We are a people who come to this room every Sunday, and we hope to be filled. We hope to tighten up our tabernacle. We know we're going through storms. We have ideas, and sometimes we embark on this journey with our idea, and it falls and it crumbles, but God comes along and restores it and redeems it and salvages what's there, and we get to keep going. Sisters and brothers, let's...